At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Mimi Arnold to talk about farm-to-table hotel style. Mimi is a visual artist and garden designer. After receiving her bachelor's in fine arts at UCLA's School of Art and Architecture, her ongoing interest in botanicals and green spaces fully surfaced. Thus, she merged her artistic background with her love in all that is green and headed into the garden design industry. For over two years, Mimi worked for two specialty garden companies in San Francisco and contributed to projects for Google and Restoration Hardware. Currently, she is located on California's Mendocino Coast, where she works as head ornamental and edible gardener for the Inn at Newport Ranch, as well as the ranch's florist. Here, she is involved with developing a farm-to-table food service for the Inn, botanical styling throughout the interior, and providing weekly fresh florals, whether grown on site or foraged from the 2,700 acres of redwood forest. Food, flowers, and foliage, the source matters. She's doing her best to keep things local and maintain a mindful and sustainable practice. Welcome to the show today, Mimi. 
Hi, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you bet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, yeah, I think it all started uh, really from when I was a young kid. Um, both of my parents were avid gardeners. So being exposed to that and, and the care and the maintenance and the reward mm -hmm. of tending to a garden at such an early age really kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I had summer jobs working at nurseries and farm stands, and it just kind of always showed up in my life, I suppose. So after art school, there there's a lot of parallels that I actually can see now in retrospect. Uh -huh. And gardening is, is a very creative process. You know, there's, there's a lot of experimenting and you know working with tools and with your hands and I think mm. I think ultimately art school encouraged me to to trust and to go through an alternative approach to living and and there are Ooh. a lot of uh there are a lot of skills that overlap I I think with with the arts and with gardening so that's kind of how and why I got into the garden design industry. Mm -hmm. Like you had mentioned, I, I worked for two specialty companies. One was installation and maintenance. So it was it was there where I really learned my plants, you know, how to pr properly uh, maintain them and mm -hmm. what I can do to help them survive. And uh, the other company was more like botanical styling and floristry. So um, together, you know, it was it was just a really great foundation, mm -hmm. and so I I really just wanted to learn as much as I could about it. And you know I, I didn't necessarily go to school you know for botany or you know horticulture, but I, I really do see the parallels yeah. between art school and gardening now. Yeah. You, so um, you said alternative approach to living. What did you yeah. mean by that? That's fascinating to me. I guess it's easier for me to, you know, to say this confidently, you know, now that I feel like I'm living a more alternative lifestyle. But mm. when I was living in San Francisco, it was it was very much, you know, a nine to five structured lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And even though I went to art school, it was just difficult for me to be a part of that system, you know, the nine to five and have the weekends off. And it just seems it's far too structured. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of freaked me out to be quite honest. It wasn't until um, San Francisco was just booming and, and I couldn't keep up. And so my, my fiance and I decided to actually quit our jobs mm -hmm. and we moved into a cab over camper and just traveled for six months up and down the coast from uh, Vancouver Island down to San Diego. And, and that's when I really realized the importance of an alternative mm -hmm. lifestyle. You kind of, you, you are, you make it. Mm -hmm. And um, I really learned a lot about myself and how I wanted to, what I wanted to do with my life, how I wanted to show up to my own life. Yeah. How cool is that? So how long did you travel for in a cab over camper? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, it was um, a 1986 Ford Ranger, so a pretty, pretty old uh -huh. vehicle, but such a tank, and I, I'm very connected with it. 
Um, and yeah, we traveled for about six months and, um, just did a lot of exploring and, you know, really reconnected Mm -hmm. with our surroundings and the land. And it was, it just brought a lot of clarity. Yeah. Cool. Was this recently? Um, it was about three years ago. So So, yeah. Recently in uh, in human time, not in geologic time. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you came to me via a press release from the Inn at Newport Ranch. Uh, so tell right. me about tell me about what the Inn at Newport Ranch is and why are you there? Well, the Inn at Newport Ranch is one of those experiences that you will truly never forget. Mm -hmm. Everything about it just really connects you to your surroundings. And it's located on the Mendocino coast. It's about three and a half to four hours from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty far removed. You know, you really have to want to, to get there and to be there and have this experience just because of the windy roads and the time it takes to get here. But once, once you're here, we're located on about 2,700 acres of land. So wow. we have about one and a half miles of coastline. The rest is, is forest and cow pastures. So we have a lot of space and it's very well managed and it's a very healthy ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the owner, Will Jackson, he, he bought the land in time in the 80s and and that's his main objective it's to preserve and to educate Mm. so we really try to educate our guests we give tours of the redwood forest you know with with our farm to table production i think it can be very um informative and it's just an interesting experience for our guests there's there's definitely a lot here considering we're we're technically in the middle of nowhere yeah yeah, how how far is the closest city? I'll go there first. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's about I would say eleven miles. So yeah, I think about thirty minutes mm-hmm. to Fort Bragg, which is mm. you know where we get supplies and everything. Right. But um, in between there, you know, they're just little coastal towns. It's it's pretty secluded and it's very peaceful and it's very restorative. Nice. So farm to table program you yes. you're creating one at the inn at Newport Ranch exactly I was actually I was hired on um, as an ornamental gardener mm-hmm. so doing botanical styling and you know the interiors and exterior patio pots and this and that after meeting will and, and really developing a relationship um, and learning about his vision, we we really thought it would be a great addition to the experience to offer a farm to table production mm-hmm. and work very closely with our kitchen and the whole team is on board so everyone is involved in their own ways and right now i am running two gardens so one is directly on site mm-hmm. and it's it's a beautiful labyrinth it's 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 raised beds and it's kind of like this labyrinth maze that you can kind of walk through and get a little lost in, hmm. um, which is really great. And it's, you know, directly on the coast. 
However, it's pretty exposed. There are a lot of, of mm. growing challenges like the wind and oh, yeah. salt spray and this and that. So I actually started a second production um, in front of my house, which I live on the land, probably a mile down the road. But wow. it's it's a second production that I started completely from scratch. I uh-huh. mean, it was just a cow pasture. <laughs> and now I'm looking out the window right now and, and seeing it and the potatoes are surfacing and it's it's definitely green. There's a lot happening down there now. Uh-huh. So how did you acquire your skills to, you know, to set up a farm to table production program? Well, I have to be honest. A lot of it is, um, I'm just learning as I'm, as I'm going. Good. Yeah. And you know, it it took me a bit of time to really be confident in saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, you know, like I said, I went to art school. I, I didn't take soil science classes and the biology or the scientific method of gardening, which is so important yeah. in the process. But I I truly believe that there's there's something to be said about your your own passion and your own mm. connection to it. And yeah. I care really deeply about every seed and every plant and I wanna see it thrive and I wanna see people benefit from it. I'm learning as I'm going. I'm doing a lot of side research and I ask a lot of questions. Good. I have some really, there are a lot of like-minded people in the area, friends, family. My brother actually is a great gardener. He's five years younger than me, but he's been really, really helpful along mm-hmm. the way. So yeah, it's, it's a continuous experiment. Take me back to that moment that you saw an ad arrived on the property and realized that they needed somebody to grow flowers for them. Had you ever done anything like that before? And what was that interaction like with them? Again, I was, I was kind of in, uh, contracted out to begin with, you know, just developing a relationship with the owner and having these discussions and meeting the team and everyone sharing the same objective. It was really surface that the job just kind of surfaced naturally. And mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to believe because it's such a dream. It, it really yeah. is. And I, I feel so grateful and inspired that I get to be a part of this movement. So it magically happened is what you're telling me. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a good, a good friend of mine says, Oh, how usual. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How cool is that? How long have you been there? Um, I'm going on my third season. Third season there. And how long have you been developing the farm to table production program? Pretty immediately. Mm. I mean, again, the first bit of working, it was more ornamental. And um, I would say the farm to table production really started taking place last year. Uh So, um, the inn has, has only been open for about two years. So there was, of course, a lot of prep before, you mm-hmm. know, opening. Um, yeah, last year, you know, we, we didn't have some of the equipment that we needed mm-hmm. to really be efficient. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, we didn't have a greenhouse. Um, we had that, that one space that was very exposed. So after a year under my belt, you know, the first thing I did this winter was I had the boys build me a greenhouse yep. and now I can do, you know, row covers and really get some more equipment in to be more productive. Yeah. 
Beautiful. So tell us about the inn at Newport. What's the facility like? Uh, is, you know, it's in the, in the intro, I, I called it a hotel. Right. Tell me about it. It's probably one of the warmest places I've stepped into. Um, there's always a fire going mm-hmm. um, just because of our cool, foggy, mm-hmm. temperate climate. The whole structure is built out of redwood. And ah. the two architects, David Sellers and Jim Sanford, they're uh, from Vermont. And they they have this aesthetic eye that is just so unique. Mm. It's like this twist of rustic and modern. Uh-huh. And it's a very special building. It, it's beautiful inside and out. It has taken a lot of time and a lot of brainstorming and a lot of different personalities to kind of get involved and, and have mm-hmm. this masterpiece. But, you know, ultimately mm. it was Will who had the vision. So again, we're located on the, the western side of Highway 1. Mm-hmm. So we have cow pastures surrounding us from left and right. And then in the back, we have these rolling ridges that lead into the redwood forest. We actually have an old growth section oh, of our forest, which nice. was recently discovered and was very, very exciting. And then in front of us, we have the Pacific Ocean <laughs> with whales going by oh. on the regular. So, you know, you're just surrounded by this wildlife yeah. and everything is very much alive. And I think it really transcends through the guest experience. Yeah. So this is a vacation destination then? It is, exactly. You know, we have people who make reservations months in advance. We have people driving by Highway 1 because it's mm-hmm. a very popular activity. Oh, yes, of course. Uh-huh. And people just dropping in. So, you know, either one works for us. <laughs> Beautiful. So you don't often hear about edible gardens at hotels. Is this your vision I, or something that you... Well, it was actually, uh, I mean, it's entirely Will. I mean, the edible garden was definitely part of his his long-term vision. And I think that's because in California and specifically in Northern California, there, there are a lot of like-minded people doing similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are really trying to reconnect with what they're putting into their body. And again, this awareness is on the rise, which is so exciting. Yeah. So, so in our immediate surrounding, in our immediate community, it seems like, you know, we just have this camaraderie with other organizations or hotels, you know, doing a similar thing. But I think, you know, of course, it needs to be at a much larger scale nationally. So, yeah. Wow. How cool is that? So how much of your food is sourced from your own gardens? The first year we were probably at 30%, which, wow. you know, it was the first, it was the first year and um, there's always room for, for growing mm-hmm. and our goal this year is 40 to 50 percent nice. so that's that's part of the reason why i expanded and installed that second garden right. and got the greenhouse and yeah i think of course we're a business and we're going to rely to a certain extent on big distributors you know to mm-hmm. bring us materials mm-hmm. especially since we are so far away All right um and remote and, you know, even just getting supplies in town, you know, again, that's a 30-minute ride. But, you know, if if we can reduce any of those orders or any of that time or gas to go into town, 
and being more self-reliant on our land, you know, I think it's a huge step forward. Yeah. I like that. Self-reliant. Do you work with the chefs to plan the gardens? Do the chefs work in the gardens? Because I've known some chefs that have actually gardened before. Uh, and Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, our our chef is wonderful, Creighton Smith. He's also the GM. Um, I work very closely with him. He, he doesn't actually work with me in the garden, but uh-huh. in terms of, you know, what he uses, what he doesn't use. You know, again, a, a year has gone by, so... So we can really be selective with what we're planting. And this winter we had a formal meeting where we sat down and we listed like what we use daily and, you know, what we use only for events or mm-hmm. this and that. And and we are able oh, to good. really be selective with, with what we need, you know, so right. there's, there's very little waste. So who dictates the menu, the what you're growing or the chef saying, I want you to grow this? <laughs> the chef. Um, he's very experienced and, you know, I really trust him with whatever he makes in the kitchen. Mm. He, he tells me what, what he needs. And, um, of course I have freedom to kind of grow what I think would do well or what would be a nice additive. So it's, it's definitely a collaboration. Nice. As well as being an edible farmer for the inn, you're also an ornamental gardener. Can you share the differences and similarities between the two? Sure. So, um, like I said, my my foundation is garden design. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of the ornamental side of it, um, that's more the interior plants. Um, every room has you know little terrariums with sweet little air plants in them, oh. or we have um, a beautiful redwood piece with accented with redwood so Mm. so there's a touch of greenery throughout the interior and then the exterior has um our little container gardenings and patios Mm -hmm. i wanted to achieve a more modern aesthetic with these plantings and and also mostly drought tolerant i mean at the time of installation we were we were in the middle of a drought so i definitely Mm. took that into account right exactly So, yeah, everything was, you know, selected at, you know, local nurseries to achieve this modern look. And after the first year of of seeing how things took, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a very harsh climate. I mean, even Mm, though it's temperate, we get we're just so exposed to the wind and the salt. And I was able to see, you know, what worked and what didn't work. It was very much trial and error. So I was able to just go back and tweak things. And and I'm still doing it. You know, there are certain plants that winterized well last year that didn't make it this year for whatever reason, you know. Probably the fact that we were pummeled with with rain for a six-month straight. But, um, yeah, so the ornamental is just more um, stimulating the aesthetic eye, I would say. and. You know, I think there's there's a lot of power in beauty. Yeah. So um, while I, I feel that edible gardening has a bit more of a purpose, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to underestimate like the power of something beautiful. Oh. So amen um, to that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit about the differences of the yeah, two. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I always like to delve in a little bit and discover who my guests are. There's a very interesting question here on the list of questions that you sent over. It says, at what moment 
did you realize, experience, or witness the broken food system within our country? And yeah. that's that's very near and dear to my heart because I had that realization in 1974. Oh, wow. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, I think I was, it was directly, you know, in my face. I, I couldn't avoid the issue when I was living in San Francisco. That's when when I really started taking note of how dysfunctional it was. I was pretty much a starving artist living in San Francisco. I mean, it was my first introduction to the garden design industry. So, uh -huh. um, and it was very hard to survive there at the time. I was living there when um, rental prices were just skyrocketing through the roof and everything along with that was just extremely expensive. And I've always, always craved, you know, a healthy uh, lifestyle and, and, food and it was just very expensive and very inaccessible to me and it was a huge frustration um, I mean it got to the point where I mean I've always had little gardens you know even if I was living in a city or whatever I, I had a, a little rooftop garden when I was living in Haight-Ashbury uh -huh. just because it was just so astronomical and right. um, so that was me really being personally affected by it because of the cost also, of the food or the the quality of the food? What were you seeing? Well, well, both. I think they go, you know, hand in hand. I think in order to get a higher quality, you have to pay for it. Yep. And that's just something I couldn't spend the money on at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my body physically reacted to it. You know, I, I had constant stomach pains. I was having these incredibly sore muscles that I went to the doctor and no one could figure out what was wrong. And, you know, maybe some was a result of stress and just living in that fast paced lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it is what I was putting into my body and the quality of it. So when I started really physically being affected by, by it, you know, I knew something really needed to change and it was really time to reconnect, which is why Corey and I, my, my fiance, which is why we left mm -hmm. and traveled. And I also have been fortunate enough to travel a bit internationally, and it's always amazing to me to see how engaged and how integrated people are um, with yeah. what they put into their bodies. Mm -hmm. I was in Colombia two winters ago, and we were in this tiny little village with like one restaurant, and there was a little flock of chickens just wandering around the village, you know, <laughs> you knew like that's where the chicken was coming from tonight, you know, right. it was just so direct and you, and you were forced to have a relationship with it. And I think that's really important. I think it's so easy to set aside the process of, you know, eating meat or, or, you know, the whole process of food, you know, it, it, there's a huge disconnect these mm. days and it just makes it too easy. I think yeah. to put junk in. Yeah. 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 Amen to that. So you've mentioned Corey, your fiance, a couple of times. I assume that he lives on the property there with you. He does. He actually helps manage the inn. So we, we get to work together. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. We have a really special team, actually. We, we also have our two best friends from back east and my brother. So, oh, my gosh. Family, a family of our own living on the property. Wow. 
Wow, cool. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Um, well, last year, um, it was my first year running the Edible Garden. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there were many challenging moments and many failures, but I remember distinctly there was one weekend I had off and we decided to go camping. And, and over that weekend, um, the temperature just really rose. Mm. We had a heat wave, which is pretty rare on Mm -hmm. the coast here. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of panicking because I, I didn't have anyone to water the garden and I had all these vegetable starts in this little greenhouse. Um, we didn't have like a a proper greenhouse at the time. It was kind of like a tent greenhouse, but anyway, um, I was just experimenting with starting my own seeds a bit and I was just panicked. Like, Oh my God, these poor starts are going to just get smothered, you know? Uh And, um, of course, yes, they, they were completely dried out and, um, Mm. it was, frustrating and disappointing and just because at the time we were we were buying all of our vegetable starts at the time um we didn't have the greenhouse so these were extra special to me because I did start them from seed right and put in that extra time and care and I just realized that of course of course it's okay to like take a step away from the garden and everything but I guess I just really realized how integrated I really need to put myself into this garden and how it's a lifestyle Mm -hmm. and it's very healthy to get some separation but yeah I guess (laughs) that's when I realized it's a lifestyle (laughs) yeah well and and putting systems in place to make sure that you know you can still go away. We just have to make sure that we of put course. systems in place. I mean, when we leave, you know, the urban farm here is a third of an acre in north central Phoenix, and we have, you know, 19 hens uh, and plants to, you know, to manage. So I have everything on wow. drip. You know, I have everything on drip, so everything gets watered. Mm-hmm. And we have to find somebody to stay with the chickens if we're gone for more than, you know, 24 hours. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just covering all your bases mm-hmm. and maybe for a second, I forgot, you know, they're, they were, these are all living things. They're little babies, you know, and, and they're yep. fragile at the time. I mean, usually plants are, are pretty resilient, but in that, you know, That's current it. situation, they were babies. Right. They just need that extra attention and love and yeah. management, you know? Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? Specifically with gardening, I think I most proud of the second production I've been developing, Mm -hmm. um, the garden that's in front of my house. Um, It's just really what needed to happen in order to be a proper farm-to-table production. The other garden that's directly on the property, it's definitely productive and, you know, we get great results, but it just wasn't fully enough to really call ourselves farm-to-table. So again, it was a cow pasture in front of our house that now is fenced off. It has, you know, drip irrigation, things are going off, things are sprouting, mm. um, things are happening down there. Yeah. So there's been quite a transformation in just a year. So I think that's, that's definitely yeah. a big success for me. Cool. <laughs> and one of the bonuses is an old cow field. So lots of fertile ground exactly. underneath. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what drives you? I think preserving and reconnecting to our planet is what drives Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. 
I think I think that's an underlying piece of a lot of the people that I talk to. It's mm. you know what are what are we leaving our kids and our grandkids, and we have to do something mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Well, that must be so hopeful for you to see and speak with all these like-minded yeah. people who yeah. share the same objective. Yeah. Yeah, which is really cool. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process? Yeah, there has been. Um, my sister's husband gave me Ishmael by Daniel Quinn to read a few summers ago, and it's very profound. He's actually, he was actually teaching it to his uh, high schoolers, I think, at the time, which was pretty cool, I thought, very progressive. It really has helped me in multiple ways. So Okay, so... You get the award because my favorite book of all time is what? I don't know. Say, Ishmael. Say Ishmael. And the reason that I ask this question is because I'm looking for the books that profoundly change people's lives. Yeah. And Ishmael wow. profoundly changed my life. Wow. And it's well, my book. Here. Yeah. It's your book. It's my book. I have read everything by Daniel Quinn. And I like to live by what I call Quinnian philosophy, his philosophy bef- wow. behind all of his books. So, wow. Wow. How cool is that? I, I have to tell <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, I have I'm been kind of like speechless right now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I have been looking for 220 some episodes for somebody oh, to say this God. book. So. Ding, ding, really? ding, ding, ding. How cool is that? <laughs> All right. So for everybody out there, <laughs> if I was being interviewed on my podcast, that would be my book. <laughs> Tell me, Mimi, what was the profound thing that it, what happened for you when you read the book? I mean, his words, everything that he was describing in these kind of breakdowns of how we got to be where we are. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's unfolding right in front of me. Yeah. Like right in front of me. I'm I'm in my present moment. I am seeing this happen. It was still hopeful at the end of the day, you know. Right. You know, what's the alternative to not fight back? No. You know, I, I get very emotional just thinking about oh my this God. book. Oh, I hear you. For our listeners out there that haven't read it, it's a conversation between a gorilla and a man, and the gorilla is the teacher. And what's what's he teaching? How our modern day, you know, got to be where we are, I would say. You know, mm-hmm. kind of the breakdown and the historical breakdown of cultures and humans and our the relationship with our planet yeah. and how twisted it is. Kind yeah, of that's a good way of up. putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Twisted. Yeah. The curious thing about Daniel Quinn and the way he writes is he leaves breadcrumbs for us along the way about what to do about it, but he doesn't tell us what to do. Right. Well, it's up to us to find what resonates with us and what's passionate for, you know, us individually to fight back. I mean, it's going to be different across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That was, uh, as you were sharing it, I was doing a happy dance over here. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Getting chills all the way down to my toes doing a happy dance. So thank Me you. Too. Thanks for that. Me too. On so, both ends. <laughs> yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Just because it was a challenge for me while I was growing 
I think it's very important to listen to yourself and to trust that, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a lot of hard work and it takes an open mind to truly listen to yourself. But yeah. uh, there's always something very important that needs to be heard. Yeah. So listen to yourself. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Mimi. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Yeah, you as well. I appreciate contributing. Yeah, well, you you contributed very nicely, so thank you. Uh, how oh, can good. our how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can email me if you have any questions or comments. Mm-hmm. My email address is Mimi M I M I S as in Frank dot Arnold at gmail.com. Okay. You can find me on Facebook or um, Instagram. You can, you know, check in with our projects at the inn. Um, all of the cut flowers are going to be blooming soon. Vegetables Ooh. are going to be harvested soon. So it'll be a very exciting thing to see. I'll be documenting it well. And that is M-I-M-I-I-M-I-M-0. That's my username. So the, feel free to follow me. On Instagram. On Instagram, yeah. Perfect, perfect. And now I want to come and stay at the Newport Ranch. In, yes, tell me, please. Tell me about that. How do we do that? Sure. Well, all of our information is available online. You can see photo galleries. You can get a little brief history of the property. Um, there's some really great history within. Mm. Um, it was actually an old logging town, which I, I didn't even mention in this conversation, but there's a lot of amazing history to see. So you can read up on that and you could book directly online or feel free to call us and we'll have Cindy or Creighton or Corey. One of us will, will check you right in. Perfect. What's the website for the end? It's the inn at newportranch.com. Perfect. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Newport Ranch. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. 
You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.